get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A team that was in last place on January 3rd. History will be made tonight in Boston. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. 902 with Carriker and Smallman. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And that call by Chris Kerber was one year ago today. And David Perron got his first Stanley Cup championship ring. And the Blues winger joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN, your home of the Blues. David with Michelle Smallman. It's Randy Carriker. Thanks for taking some time. How are you doing? Doing great. How about you? We're good, David. And first of all, happy anniversary. One year ago, you were hoisting the cup for the St. Louis Blues. So happy anniversary. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Curves is the best. That was a great call, obviously. And uh, think about it and gives us, gives me a chills for sure. And uh, it was uh, such a special day, special moment um, in all our lives. And uh, I was really proud to do that in St. Louis. So I want to take you back to before Game 7, the night before. Obviously, a bummer that you guys didn't get it done here in St. Louis. Game 6, you fly to Boston the night before Game 7. So tell me what the mood was like and what the team was doing the night before Game 7. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple days uh, in between uh, travel days and the finals. So that was really huge. I think there's the one day that you turn the page. And like you said, the night before, I think guys were back to being loose, being normal, and that was really a strength of our team last year, and, and same thing this year, to be honest, but uh, just that we were able to turn the page on, on anything, whether it was a huge win or uh, a tough loss like that, uh, Game 6 was, and, and with the score the way it was, they all played us in basically at every aspect uh, with our crowd just waiting for something to happen so that they can uh, really take over the city, but uh, no, you know what, uh, guys were loose, guys were um, focus at the same time and doing what was necessary, but at the same time, um, knowing it was the last night uh, that we were going to be on the road, that we were going to have fun. Uh, we had dinner. Um, either some guys were at dinner at certain restaurants, or we had we had a meal at the, the hotel as well, had a couple of glass of wine just to relax and and uh, hopefully get some sleep. And um, you guys did a good job. David Baram with us on 101 ESPN. Okay, you get into the game and. Jordan Bennington was unbelievable in the first period. What was that first period like for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with you. Uh, um, looking back, I uh, saw a couple highlights uh, here and there, and um, I didn't really watch the whole game just yet, to be honest with you, which is kind of funny, but uh, I watched parts of it in, in different days uh, throughout the last year. 
And obviously, without Binner being so good uh, early on, score could have been way different. Um, he helped us get to our game. And once we scored uh, the first goal by O'Reilly there, I think we just kind of kept building our game. We went kind of, we pushed him back on their heel just a little bit so we we could gain some momentum. And um, after that was a really uh, big team effort. And so at what point did you feel in your mind, David, like we've got this, we're going to win the Stanley Cup? Um, well, I think when Shannon uh, scored the third goal, you're really... Uh, focus still on on the end result. Uh, you're focused on the moment, knowing that if you keep doing the right thing, the end result's going to come. Uh, but really, when Sanford scored that that four goal, I think that was part of that, obviously too. But is when I, when I knew something, uh, there wouldn't need to be an absolute miracle for them to to even get back in this thing. And uh, I think that's when guys started to. And on the other side, you could tell in their faces too that uh, uh, it was going to be over most likely. So uh, we just kept pushing, but. I remember going on the ice after Shen's goal. I think our line jumped on the ice, and knowing that we were probably going to win, I, I just said, let's not even think about that just yet. Let's play two more shifts and go from there. And I think that second shift, uh, that's when we scored the Sanford goal. So um, I'm glad I stayed in it, stayed focused, and uh, everyone obviously did that. So are we, David. So are we. But, yeah. you know, the final horn sounds. You realize we've done it. We've won the Stanley Cup. Petro hoist the cup. He's skating around, and you're pretty early in on that line. So what is it like when Thorburn hands the cup to you and you touch it for the very first time? Take us yeah. through that experience. Yeah, so most most of the time it kind of goes through games play, like experience in the league, and um, Thorburn's in play in the playoffs. Obviously, he played, spent most of the year in the minors, and uh, but he still ended up playing over 800 games in the, in the NHL at that point. We, we knew it was going to be his last year in the NHL. And um, I think it's just a respect thing. I went over to him, and I, I, I knew, like, the experience. I played with him. I'm sorry, I played against him a bunch over the years. And I just went over to Thorvis, and said, hey, after Steiner touches it, um, he's going to probably try and give it to me, but I am I want you to have it before me. Uh, and he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to do it. And I said, no, I'm telling you, you're doing it. I'm not touching it. So he grabbed it, and I was um, just as happy to see him grab it than, than when I was. And obviously, a surreal, surreal feeling, and... Uh, so many things kind of go through our mind in just a just a quick second. Uh, all the people that help you out, kind of thing. And uh, I was trying to locate my parents really quick in, in the stands. I think they were in the way already to to find their way on the ice. Um, but yeah, like um, just an unbelievable feeling uh, of with those guys, the friendship that we made in that year and this year. Same thing again. Uh, handing it to uh, Scott, my winner O'Reilly after two that was a. Uh, cool moment for me because you really helped me in the, in the last couple of years. I also want to know, David, about the plane ride home because the stories that we get from that plane ride sound absolutely legendary. So tell us a story from the plane ride home. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a moment that uh, we were allowed to do almost whatever we wanted more than ever. Uh, just uh, <laughs> in, in the respect of all the rules as far as not standing up too soon in the plane and all that stuff, but uh, maybe a couple of rules were broken there. Um, guys were just having fun, obviously, and uh, I think you worked for that your whole life. So I just let loose, and uh, from the moment we were in the room, I, I think one of my favorite moments was celebrating with the guys in, in the locker room, um, hearing uh, Gloria, hearing we are the champions. Uh, just kind of, I tried to be around the cup as much as I could, and I tried to um, have guys drink uh, champagne and out of the cup. I, I, I was kind of going, going around and make sure that everyone in the organization got got a sip out of it. And then, they, like you said, on the plane, there was just uh, a ton of guys just gathered around the cup, around the, everyone. 
telling stories, having fun. Uh, I, I don't know. The weight limit must have been all in the same same area of the plane because it seemed like we were all getting in the same area. But uh, it was just a cool moment. David Perron is with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And David, you'd played for a long time, you'd, especially with the Blues. You dealt with a lot of heartbreak also that year in Vegas where you didn't win the Cup. So after the, the joy, was there ever a point where you, you kind of decompressed and said, this is a relief that uh, for for all of the work that I put in, I finally get a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to say relief because I would just keep working at it forever. Even if I didn't win it as a player, I'd find a way to get in somehow in, in a group that would do it, and I would try and feel part of it. I would try to put in the work, and that's what I've been trying to do my whole career, to be honest with you, and I'm really happy it ended up working with St. Louis because at the end of the day, that's really a team that uh, – uh, I invested the most in, and they invested a lot in me, and uh, I, I'm just so proud to do it in St. Louis. Just the people in town are absolutely great people. Uh, everyone that I have ever met in town um, supported me, and, and even through some times, some tough times where even myself, like like you were mentioning, some of the playoff runs that we've had, uh, we were hoping uh, for more, and then Chicago or L.A. or whoever would find a way to knock us out, and that's that just shows you how hard it is to win the this trophy and uh, there's many years that we could have done it but at the same time there's uh, also last year there was many moments that we could have lost to Jamie Ben's wraparound and Benner came through uh, kept the puck on the on the uh, just outside the net uh, Patty scored a big goal there right after so those are key moments that, that you need to have to win the cup and uh, like you said I think the journey after all that that's that's the coolest part for me not that I didn't want to win in my first couple of years but I think uh, it just uh, feels different as an older guy to to put in all this time, all this effort, and finally do it, uh, a very special moment. And David, you guys were playing absolutely great. You were getting ready for the playoffs, and then all of a sudden the season stops. And what has that been like for you to have that momentum of the season building and then just have everything abruptly stop in place, but you still have to stay ready and knowing that the season's going to start at some point. So what has this, this off period been like for you? Yeah, that's why it's funny that you mentioned that because it makes... Uh, it was pretty tough. Um, just the reason when you w- you go through all this, what we did, obviously winning, and then the first 40, 60 games of the year after, because I went through the same thing uh, the year before, like you said, with, with Vegas, we won, and it's almost like you want to get right back. Uh, sorry, we didn't win. We went to the Stanley Cup final, but it's almost like you want to get right back to April, right back to like playoffs, because that's a fun time of the year. And then, obviously, the experience we went through, we might as well go right back to April again and you you want to go through the whole season because you have to earn it, but at the same time, uh, you're hoping to get another shot. At it. And then finally, we're, we were in that moment where we could feel, you could see light at the end of the season, at the end of the tunnel, where it's a long season for us, a shorter off season. You can feel a lot of uh, little uh, aches that uh, a longer season year before will get to you. And uh, yeah, so it was tough that way. But um, hopefully, that when we do get going, guys are ready again. and. Uh, and we do have a shot to uh, to do it again. So who knows what's going to happen, but um, definitely tougher moments there for sure. Final thing for David Perron. We do know that you're going to start training camp on July 10th. What would you like to accomplish? Is there anything you need to do between now and the start of training camp physically? Uh, well, you, you keep training, obviously. The first um, little while here, you didn't know if it was going to be in full off season until October, November, whenever we start up the next season again. And, and uh, even though there's a somewhat set date, there still needs to be a lot of things done. 
So it's not fully official. It just said that it's going to be there. Uh, we're inching towards there, and um, I think guys, there's not one player that doesn't want to play, that doesn't want to, but, but we have to have the right situation in, in many aspects of the deal, and um, that's what uh, the NHLP and the NHL are working towards right now. So I think that's what we need right now. I think physically for us, uh, we know what it takes uh, as a team, and uh, and we're excited if it's going to happen to get back at it. I'm really excited to get back just for a point that I think the coaching staff is is extremely smart the way they manage our load last year, the, the way they manage training camp. Um, after such a shorter off season, they didn't kill us. They, they made sure that we had rest. They, the practices were hard but smart, and uh, it was uh, really impressive by them. And uh, I think it's going to be the same thing again. David Perron, great memories, and thanks for the insight there. We appreciate it. Always good to talk to you and uh, enjoy this month and then enjoy the stretch run. Let's go get another cup. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks a lot. Appreciate right. it, guys. Thank you very much. Have a great day. That is David Perron on this one-year anniversary of the Blues winning a Stanley Cup. Still hard to believe that it happened. Yeah. What a cool story that he went to Thorburn and said, nope, I'm not touching it. Yep. you got to take it. I also love the story he shared about even though they had a feeling that the Blues were going to win, he said to his line mates, hey, we're going to go out there, we're going to play two more shifts, and we're mm-hmm. going to give it our all. We're not even going to consider that this could happen. That's that's a great teammate. And that's the identity of the Blues, that even down to the last minute, they were going to play as hard and as tough as they possibly could. And if you were a subscriber to The Athletic, David Perron's story on Jeremy Rutherford's uh, piece today, Untold Stories About the Blues Winning the Stanley Cup, David Perron's piece is fun if you get a chance to read that. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. So much response to the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning their first Stanley Cup. And you'll be able to hear that game, the Game 7 between the Blues and Boston tonight. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. But we want to continue the celebration and continue talking about the Blues winning their first Stanley Cup last year. Text 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service text line. And this one from the 314, Michelle. When Zach Sanford scored to make it... Uh, to give the Blues their fourth goal, I screamed, oh my God, the Blues are going to win this thing. As a 16-year-old high schooler and probably the biggest Blues fan at my school, I had to enjoy this as much as I could. However, my emotions took over, and when the boys were jumping and skating towards Bennington when the clock struck zero, I cried for maybe a a bit for more than a few minutes. And that's from a 16-year-old. Yep. Think about that. We talk about you waiting your whole life for this and to Mm -hmm. think that a teenager could have the same emotional response. It just tells you how much sports means to people. It's amazing. Yeah, and especially with uh, if your parents are blues fans and you're 16 and they've gone through their entire life or your grandparents and they were around in 1967, 68, uh, 69, 70 when they went to the finals and lost and they're able to tell you the stories. You know, back in the day, the, the Blues went to the finals three times, and we hadn't even seen that. Mm-hmm. So f- for young people, that is very cool. Uh, from the 618, I watched at home because I was nervous. Went downtown for game three, a loss. Went to a bar for game six, loss. <laughs> so my friends and I had a text stream going during the game. My wife was with me when the time was winding down. I didn't drink until afterwards. I held it together all game, but melted down when I heard Doc Emmerich say, the Blues on the bench now realize they're about to be Stanley Cup champions with about five or six seconds to go. Gosh, these stories are so amazing. And to think, too, you think about the culmination of that. It was a six-month emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. The team was in dead last. 
Dead last. I mean, they're in last place. I remember Tom Stillman in the studio sitting right next to me saying, I wouldn't give up on this team. There's something about them. I really think that they have a chance. And Bernie and I were like, yeah, okay, sure. Well, what about, are we going to sell, you know, Trey Tarasenko? Like, what's the deal here? Because this is not going to, we understand that you need to have that mentality, but we do not believe that this team has a chance. And then they start to turn things around. This goalie comes in from nowhere. Jordan Bennington, Ryan O'Reilly ascends to be this unbelievable leader. Every person had their magical moment somehow in those past six months. You have Gloria. You have Layla. It's just story after story after story. But it's like this big crescendo to where hitting game seven, your emotions are on such a 10. It's so hard to even comprehend everything that we had already experienced and endured. I mean, the Pat Maroon game alone is is enough to make your mind explode. But to think everything that we went through to get to that moment, it truly was a fairy tale run. We've got a mic drop from Ron, the Rhino Shield mic drop on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Randy and Michelle. Last year on June 12th, when the Blues won the Cup in Boston, I was sitting in my bedroom watching the game in my Archie Bunker chair. Figure much the Blues had it in the bag when Braden Shin scored the goal to make it 3-0. I was drinking a Gatorade, eating a couple of snacks, and at the end of the game, I was just numb. It was certainly exciting. It was exciting, unbelievable, crazy. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, we got a text. How about this one, Randy? Uh, my brother-in-law was dying with stage four cancer, and he wished before he died that the Blues win the Stanley Cup, and look what happened. They did, and he passed away August 6, 2019. Oh, wow. My. I'm so glad that he was able to have that yeah. moment, though. Right. Yeah. That so, just tells you what it means to people. Yeah, that here's a man dying of stage four cancer, and that's his wish, that he wants to see the Blues win the Cup. It means so much to people. And it's all these, it's a million little moments tied up in, into that one final championship. It's what it means to your community, what it means to your family, all the emotions that you have placed into this team. And I'm just so thankful that they got it done and that we got to experience it the way that we did. And especially the people like Bob Plager and Kelly Chase is going to join us in just a moment here on 101 ESPN. But those people that had put so much, literally, blood, sweat, and tears into that franchise, and they got a chance to experience uh, that parade. That's the one thing they all dreamed about was that parade, and I'm glad that they got a chance to experience it. You and I would watch the games, the home games, in the press box, and then we would go down to the locker room after afterwards to interview players and get sound for the shows. And there was always Blues alumni in the hallway leading into the locker room or in the locker room, and seeing the joy on their faces and how emotional they were being a part of this run it does tell you what the franchise means to these former players what that blue note means to a lot of guys me and my best friend uh, both in our 30s were sitting together behind home plate at bush stadium with a (laughs) screaming crowd through the rain and after the game hold on this just moved up uh we got together with a group and i remember jumping into his arms with tears of joy so it was pretty cool and it's amazing Randy. you told me you didn't cry no, I hyperventilated a little bit. But no, I, I did not have tears rolling down my cheeks. I just assumed that you had waited your entire life for this, that yeah. the emotions would take over and that you would cry. No, I, I thought I would too, but I didn't. But I, I was highly emotional, as was Kelly, Choi, Kelly Chase, Blues legend, who joins us on this anniversary, one-year anniversary of the Blues winning their first Stanley Cup. And Chaser is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Randy Carricker and Michelle Smallman. Chaser, great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I apologize for having us flip times on you, but uh, 
something came up there at the, at the hour, and I'm glad I could come on with you still. Uh, no problem at all, and we're glad that uh, you took some time with us. Uh, it's amazing that it's been a year, and as as you reflect, how amazing is it that, for in your mind, that last year was the year that the Blues won the Stanley Cup? Well, it was uh, certainly an emotional time. It was. It's great to look back on uh, what happened and and what they did, and and it's a sense of relief, don't you think, in the city? Like it's a sense of, of I don't know, maybe belonging to that that club that you've worked so hard, or a sense of accomplishment for the whole city. I think they, I think everybody gets to, you know, everybody gets to to uh, breathe a little bit, you know? I know as a player, and you always wanted to be that team that, you know, could, as people would come and say, when are we going to do this? Like, it's been long enough. And you, you always felt like you had a, you know, a little bit of an obligation to try and, you know, to to try and be that first team. And, and, you know, it wasn't from lack of effort or lack of talent. Sometimes it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of everything coming together. But so proud of those guys and grateful that, uh, you know, that I had an opportunity at least to, to be a part of, uh, a, you know, watching it and seeing a team uh, accomplish it. Those, those young men changed the city. Jason, I want to talk to you about the pregame hype video because that video set the tone for everything. There was so much emotion as people headed into Enterprise Center. They wanted this so bad. And then this video would play. And then you would come on at the end and say, hey, buddy, we're still here. And Enterprise Center would erupt. It was like the roof was going to blow off that place. What was it like for you to watch that video play and know that you're sending that message and that you're getting the crowd hyped for these games? Well, you know what? It was kind of emotional, actually, because it was, I don't just mean in the sense of hyping people up, but I think it was emotional in the sense that um, I felt like honored that they would consider having me do it, to be honest with you. I mean, if you think of all of the guys they could have asked to be a part of that video or do that video, the fact that they asked me if I would do it and then they taped it and, you know, and and they did such... Dan O'Neill did such a great job, Junior, that was with the Blues. Uh, you know, he's our, you know, works works in our staff. Was just, just the fact that they would ask me, and he did such a good job of writing it, and and then you know we we tweaked some things, and Trevor Nickerson put it together, and and I, I have to chuckle about it to be honest with you a little bit because um, I was on a boat in Mexico practicing, getting ready to come back, but so I was, I kept going, you know, you know. The start of the video, I would, you know, do my thing and then get to the end and then the whole, hey, buddy, we're here. Hey, you know, so I'm on the back of this boat. And when I say boat, I mean, I'm on a, like a yacht in a harbor and I'm sitting on this guy. It's a friend of mine that I play junior with owns this boat and everybody's gone to the beach and I'm sitting on this boat and I'm, and I keep going over this and I keep trying to get the emotion. In. Finally, this older gentleman walked in the back of his boat and looked right across at me, which seemed like about 20 feet away. And he said, hey, buddy. Are we just about done here? <laughs> and I just started laughing. I said, I'm sorry, man. I mean, he's heard me rehearse this thing a hundred times in the last 25, 30. Uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly Chase is with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Chaser, uh, we we saw you after the Blues clinched the the Western Conference title when they advanced to the championship, and you you had tears in your eyes. What about when they won? What was your emotion like then? It was very similar. I mean, 
I, I'm not sure if you've heard the story, but I didn't go to Game Seven. I've been to all the games, and I hadn't. I didn't go to Game Seven. I just felt well. I, first of all, I didn't realize. I mean, the Blues Army, everybody. The fact that they included us in everything, the alumni that worked for the team was just amazing to me. I mean, I just thought it was such a classy thing. Um, and so for the, for us, like, I didn't realize we were going to be allowed to participate in the celebration as much as the guys did, which was awesome. And I probably would have changed my mind, but I wanted to hear Curbs do it on the radio, to be honest with you. I'd worked for him for so long, so I listened to the radio and I timed it. So I drove... I was driving back from actually Nashville and I timed it so I could hear him and I would come into town when the game ended. And I actually came in about, I actually was crossing the bridge about three minutes before the game ended. So I pulled over right by the stadium and I, I watched, and I don't know if anybody realizes this, but there was just, first of all, there was nobody on the road. I mean, I mean, nobody, it was eerie. And the second thing was, is all the cars that were parked downtown were stopped. Like you couldn't go anywhere. So I'm looking over the bridge, the stadiums, you know, got people in it, the ballpark village, the enterprise center. And I hear curbs do the final call through my window. My, I can't even video what's going on because the text messages are coming through. I think I took a picture of my screen at one point and there was 294 text messages coming through. Like I just, I could literally couldn't get my phone up. The phone was ringing and everything. And I was trying to get, uh, an image of the the videoing of this thing, but I was there's so much emotion, and I was looking over the city, and when that horn went, and you know, it was just chaos. Like I just, it was so I was relieved for the city, and so happy for everyone. And I mean, I'm sh- and emotional, but also like it was, it was, it was fun. It was like it was. It was like I was pr- I was just happy for everybody. It wasn't just the team. I was happy for the city. I was happy for my friends and you know going to games since before I was in St. Louis. You know, mm-hmm. I just felt like it was just a load off everyone's shoulders, and I was so happy for the city. It was just, and I knew that it was going to be a ripper of a party for the next uh, few weeks, <laughs> the next year. Yeah, <laughs> Chaser, we know you have to get on a Zoom call. We appreciate you taking some time. That was a great story, and we love reminiscing with you. We'll talk again soon. Have a great weekend. Anytime. I appreciate you guys calling. Thank you. All right, thanks, Kelly. Kelly Chase with us on One Hundred and One ESPN. How about that story? Unbelievable, and I love how we ended with. You knew it was going to be a ripper of a party because <laughs> that it was. Did you ever hear the story about his float in the parade? The driver took them down the wrong street. We'll we'll get Chaser on sometime, and he can tell the story about how his his float driver with the, his group of people they went down the wrong street and got stuck, and they had to back up and get back in the parade. Oh man, <laughs> it's unbelievable. That is Michelle. I'm Randy, and uh, we're going to reminisce some more about this. One-year anniversary. With this one-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, we've got more of your texts. Feel free to mic drop us if you want to with the 101 ESPN app, and we're going to get back to it next on 101 ESPN. your reminiscences at the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup one year ago today. Carl Ravitch of ESPN, who is dialed in, tweets, Sources tell me MLB counterproposal today will move towards a season of roughly 70-plus games with a salary percentage in the 80 to 85% of pro rata. Playoff pool bonus. My concern are the recent spikes in COVID-19. Worst case would be to start and stop. Will players move? And to me, that's the biggest question is, 
yes, we have to be concerned about COVID-19 first and foremost, but players, as Jeff Pass noted yesterday, the one thing that they seem to be ready to die on a hill for is 100% of their game day salary. So it seems like 80 to 85% will probably not be enough. Unless players are, uh, the, the players themselves, not just the union chief, uh, Scott Boris, but uh, really Tony Clark. But yeah, right. Is Scott Boris willing to take less than 100%? Probably not. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, don't, I, I wish the answer was yes, because I'm sick of this back and forth, and I want to see some baseball be played, but my gut tells me probably not. Yeah. We've really enjoyed spending this morning with you talking about the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Here's one from the 636, Michelle. We watched it in a bar in KC with about 10 of us. After they won, the guy behind the bar wouldn't play Gloria for us, even though he was playing free music all night. So we put $20 in and played Gloria on repeat <laughs> until they shut it off after about about 30 minutes worth LGB. That's perfect. You think about how many times that night people heard Gloria. It was just on repeat throughout the entire city. Well, and uh, Courtney Landrum, who is next door to us now at uh, the Arch, she does mornings while we're on the air here. She came up with the brilliant idea of playing Gloria throughout the day on Y98. So for 24 consecutive hours after they won the cup, that's all you heard on that station. I forget who it was, but there was some broadcaster that we had. Maybe it was Greg Wyshynski. I think it was Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. He was in studio with Bernie and I, and we were talking about all the various storylines during the Blues run. And he was like, I love Gloria. I love the story of Gloria. But why does St. Louis still not know the words to the song? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, no, you guys know Gloria. You know the, re- the refrain, but you don't know all of the lyrics to the song. You think you've heard it enough that you would know. And after he said that, the next time the Blues won, I watched and everybody really did just know a certain portion yeah. of the song. Because. Just because. Just because the other words don't really matter. No, only Gloria. Play Gloria. That's <laughs> all that really mattered. Play Gloria. <laughs> hey, we appreciate your mic drops with the 101 ESPN app. And whatever we're talking about, we love to hear from you uh, with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the free 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Ray. I felt the pressure of game seven was just so incredibly overwhelming. We had so many positive narratives that we couldn't possibly lose, could we? But had we lost, it would have been the biggest thud in St. Louis sports history. It would have been just awful, but we didn't. We won and it was probably our most positive experience ever. Yeah, I don't want to think about the other thing could have happened that could have happened. I don't know if you and I would have recovered. Not by now, I wouldn't have. No way. <laughs> a year later? No yeah. way. And, okay, let's just quickly go there. They lose game seven. We are devastated. They come back, have this great season where it looks like they're primed for another playoff run, another Stanley Cup run, and then the season stops. That would be so blues. You and I could not, we would never be over this, no, ever. No, and uh, legions of blues fans that are texting in and <laughs> mic dropping in this morning. We never would have been able to get over it. Lisa is one of our favorites and has a mic drop for us on 101 ESPN. Hi, guys. So we had a big house party in Shiloh, and the, as soon as the game started, everybody was freaking so nervous. So at the 20-minute mark, somebody would have to stand up, and then somebody would be in the hole. So it'd be like, Randy, you're up. Michelle, you're in the hole. And you during your minute while you were standing, you couldn't let the Bruins score. 
before. I, we had so much fun that night. It was an amazing fun night. Have a good weekend, everyone. Yeah, what about the person that let the Bruins score, though? Yeah, I feel bad for that guy or gal. <laughs> that stinks. Yeah, what an awesome But you know uh, what? Event, I, I think at that point, though, yeah, it was forgiven, right? right? At that point in the oh, game, yeah. we yeah, well. that person who let the Bruins score for, forgave him. And that's the great thing about sports is I, I always use the word galvanizing, but it brings people together and it provides moments that you'll never forget. Lisa and her friends will never forget doing that on the night that the Blues won the Stanley Cup. You'll never forget being with your parents at Enterprise Center. I'll never forget being with my family. Nobody that's in this region will ever forget if, if they were pulled over on the side of the road like Kelly Chase, they'll never forget where they were the night the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And there are some bad things in life that you never forget. But most of the good things in life when you never forget, whether it, unless it's family related, they're sports. And it's amazing because I remember every detail from that night. I remember when Petro scored that second goal that I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I felt like I was going to pass out. My brain short-circuited and I had to sit down. I remember leaving Enterprise Center and everybody on the street was screaming and high-fiving and strangers were hugging and cars had their windows rolled down and they were playing Gloria and they were doing a post-game show here on 101 ESPN and they called me to do a hit to talk about my experience at Enterprise Center and I was shaking so badly I could barely (laughs) answer the phone. It was like my body I was out of, it was an out-of-body experience. I couldn't control my body. I was shaking so badly. It's incredible. It was amazing. And here's an amazing thing that you had to sit down because your brain short-circuited as a result of Todd uh, Brad Marchand having a brain short-circuit and leaving the ice when he shouldn't have so Petro could score. And you know what? We both ended up crying that night too, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got one more great text from the Air Comfort Service text line. I waited 35 years for the moment to watch this and got to watch it with two of my three sons and my wife of 30 years who watched me agonize through all of the past failures. Today is such a great day to reminisce with everyone during such difficult times. Thanks for sharing such joy. And that's what it's all about. Today... June 12th will always be a day of joy here in St. Louis, always. It will. Coming up, we've got a new game here. We are we have our weekend draft. Michelle and Randy are going to pick some things for to do this weekend next on 101 ESPN. Randy and Michelle with you, and we're going to have our weekend draft. We've got a big board of events for the weekend, and one of us will choose one, and we'll do a snake-type draft, and we'll each choose five events that we are going to participate in this weekend. I've prepared heavily and done a lot of scouting. I have a strategy here, and I I don't know if Michelle is as prepared as I am, but I think I'm going to win here. By the way, we get this text from the 573 to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Randy and Michelle, get out and head to Farmington to take the SEMO Wine Tour. Great scenery, wineries, and even a Tiger Refuge Park. It's a great weekend trip, so Farmington is one of the possibilities. Mm. We are going to uh, flip for the first pick in this draft, Okay. and you get to call, I get to flip. Go ahead. Heads. Heads, and it is heads. So Michelle has the first pick in this snake draft. Okay, we've got a big board up. 
And we need to add, we don't have on the big board, uh, game six tomorrow night uh, between the Cardinals and the Rangers, game six from 2011. So that needs to be added to the board. All, All right. right. Well, Randy, I think as we look at our big boards here, you want to take the most coveted thing off the board first. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing on this list that I know both of us not only are going to do this weekend, but actually want to do, and that's playing golf. So with my number one Ooh. overall pick, I'm going with playing golf. Okay, you do have strategy there. I do. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. And uh, I know how much you like to hit the links. So sorry that I had to swipe that from you. You sure did. Well, I'm going to hit you where it hurts. Oh, no. I'm going to watch Long Gone Summer. Man, I knew that was coming. And my next one, because I didn't want that taken away from me. And then my second rounder in the weekend draft. And I'm just going to take this because I'm worried about you taking it. Going to Soulard Market. Haven't been there all year. Big mistake. It wasn't even in my top five. All right. I am going to go ahead and take watching Fox Sports Midwest rebroadcast of the Blues winning game seven in Boston. Oh, good call. I was going to listen to that here on uh, 101 ESPN. So I will do that, but I'm going to record it on Fox Sports Midwest so that I can listen here and watch it again. But this has never before seen commentary from a lot of the people involved in this. And they're Mm going to take us behind the scenes of game seven. So why wouldn't I want that, Randy? It's a great call. Then... So that's me next, right again? Mm-hmm. So then I am also, you know what? It is going to be a beautiful weekend. Your girl needs a tan, Randy. I'm going to pick sitting by a body of water or a pool for my number three pick. Okay. I like that a lot. Okay. Uh, then my third round weekend choice, since you have stolen away from me, Fox Sports Midwest three broadcast of the Blues winning Game Seven in Boston. I'm going to watch NBC Sports Network's rebroadcast of the Blues winning Game Seven in Boston that'll feature John Hamm and Layla Anderson. That's going to be uh, my third choice. So that's Game Seven on Sunday. And I don't want to hurt you here. <laughs> so, and I've got some things that are going to be available to me as free agents, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. And I'm certainly not going to go on a run. You know that. <laughs> yeah. So that, that'll be available for you as a free agent if you want it. So, uh, okay. Hmm. Uh, first weekend of uh, the golf season. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to throw watching golf in there. All right. Again, playing right into my hands here, Randy. Now it's up to me, my number four overall pick. I'm going with grilling. Oh, no. (laughs) I thought that would be available to me as a free agent. Yeah. Now, this definitely on the big board, Freeze Pops put together, didn't specify whether you'd actually be physically doing the grilling or just participating in the grilling by eating it. So I'm choosing grilling as my number four. I played my cards way wrong that time. You did. You talk about a strategy. Clearly, you are the Cleveland Browns of the weekend draft, Randy. Okay. So this leaves me with the final pick, and I need to make sure that I end this on a positive note because those fifth rounders do come in in uh, handy. They do come important. So I'm going to go. We're going to keep it with food, and I'm going to go brunching. I'm going to go brunching. You're a big bruncher. I'm a big bruncher. It's going to be amazing this weekend, sitting outside on a patio with my friends, eating a beautiful meal, supporting a local restaurant. Sounds ideal. So that rounds out my top five. And uh, I'm going to combine... Oh, I guess I'm not. Uh, I'm going to... uh, Because I kind of do this for myself. uh, Buy Father's Day gifts. For me. We've got to talk about that. Buying for dads is the most difficult task of the calendar year. Is it it really? Because 
exactly what you just said. Dads buy themselves their own gifts. It's just like, hey, I need a new golf club. Guess what? I bought it. Hey, guess what? Surprise. Bought a brand new flat screen TV a week before Father's Day. You're like, what? Dad? Really? I guess it's another dry fit golf polo. It's called a necessity. (laughs) There are necessities in life, and golf clubs and big screen TVs are absolute necessities. You can't wait for Father's Day. There are some things that you need now. Exactly. And, you know, dads are, they always play by the my house, my rules scenario, Mm -hmm. and it's my money, my purchases. They're not going to wait for a gift. It's true. So we both have uh, Game 6 from 2011 still available in free agency. Uh, I have a bike ride and you have a run at Forest Park. And uh, what about watching uh, the Pete Davidson movie King of Staten Island? I am not a Pete Davidson fan. That was clearly Mr. Irrelevant on the big board. No one's touching that one. Yeah, I didn't think so. I'm not really a Pete Davidson. I am a Judd Apatow fan, though. He's obviously made some great movies. Very funny. If anyone could make Pete Davidson... More entertaining. It's going to be our boy Judd. Yeah, I don't know if he even he can pull that off though. So Pete Davidson actually does have a very interesting story. I don't know if you know his backstory. Uh, no. So his father was a firefighter. They're from Staten Island and um, passed away at nine eleven. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yes, it's a true story, and so that obviously has affected his life and his mental health and things moving forward. And so that's what this story I think is about. So oh, okay. it, it is a pretty interesting story. But I still would rather do almost anything than watch that movie this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And it's going to be beautiful. It'll be a great weekend to be outside. So, you know, while I did uh, select watching golf, it's not going to happen very often during the course of Saturday or Sunday afternoon that I'm actually going to be watching golf. And for you, your daytime activities, golf, pool, grilling, brunching, See, you, all of those are great outdoor activities. And then for Fox Sports Midwest Game 7 tonight, it's a night. So you've done a really good job there. So you're saying that I won to draft? <laughs> yes, by stealing grilling from me. I can't believe you did that. Come on, Randy. You so, know I love to eat. Of course I'm going grilling. But uh, the fact that I do have long gone summer in my pocket is good. I figured that you would do Soulard Market. I'm going to make a stir fry this weekend. I love making stir fries. Oh, what kind? What's the flavor? What I do is I, I put um, an olive oil and herb sauce on it, and I uh, grilled chicken, and then red cabbage and all colored peppers and zucchini and squash. I, I put a lot of stuff in there. Ooh, sounds delicious. I really like to make it. This has been another fun week of Carriker and Smallman. This has been uh, 30 shows that we've done today. That's crazy. You told me before the fight that I was not going to lose. I didn't put it on the board there. But now I'm, I think I'm 27 and 3 in the fight since we started. Yeah, you, you gave us your today. record. And I said, well, I'm pretty confident that you're going to win again today. And we tied 4 4. Yeah. So you, you, you lost, but only by a technicality. It's not like I jinxed you or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> We've had a great week, a great couple of weeks of interviewing people about Long Gone Summer. And Danny Mac has a best of Long Gone Summer interviews coming up on Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. He'll be back with us on Monday live to do his show. And uh, we appreciate the hard work of Tommy Freeze Pops Carol. Great job today, sir. Thank you. 
Thanks, guys. We'll talk on Monday. Have a great weekend. And, I, yeah, I think Michelle won the draft there. Okay. I think you got the best player on the board, Randy, with Long Gone Summer, but I think Michelle won the Yeah, draft. I think she's yeah. got a lot more depth there, no <laughs> doubt about it. Colin Surrey doing a great job, as always, as our board operator and uh, being the guy who uh, runs the show from behind the board. He does amazing work. Michelle, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks, Randy. Have a great weekend. And, of course, we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And for all of us, we hope you have a great weekend, too. Until Monday at 7 a.m., have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.